welcome to episode 13 of Super States, Practices of Transformation, with me, your host, Joshua Peters. Super States explores that intersection of using trance states in the huge variety that they come in to access personal and professional growth. In every episode, we talk to world-class experts, industry leaders, revolutionary thinkers, and they're sharing the latest information and tools along with their own personal stories to inspire you on your journey. This week, I talk with Jess Marion. Jess is a powerhouse, an eclectic blend of coaching, training, and a medicine worker. One of the things I like most about Jess is how grounded she is in science while also able to live in the world of spirit. Are you ready to enter the transformative world of hypnosis and psychedelics? Here we go. Spirituality, coaching, and psychedelics with Jess Marion. All right, welcome to Super States. Uh, I'm super excited to be here with uh, a friend, uh, a mentor, someone that has really made an impact in my life, uh, Jess Marion. She's a medicine worker, she's a coach, she's a trainer, and she is here with us live today. Hey, Jess, how are you doing? Hey, Josh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to see you are doing this podcast and I could participate. I think it's going to be a lot of fun for us and really amazing for the audience going forward, even beyond our episode. So I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And, and I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes as well. Uh, just, just to kind of get started so people can get a sense of, you know, like who you are. Can you describe to us what you do, how you transform lives? Sure. So I have lots of um, various masks I wear in my professional life. Uh, I started out as a hypnotherapist and coach and then went on to become an NLP trainer, a coaching trainer, and hypnosis trainer, and author. And these days, I still do those things. I, they're still near and dear to my heart. Uh, but my, the bulk of my current work right now is uh, working with sacred medicines or psychedelics as a facilitator, as a guide. Uh, so myself and my amazing, lovely a uh, friend and business partner, Carlos Casados. We run multi-day medicine retreats together for people who want to uh, engage with medicine for healing or personal exploration and growth. That's, uh, that's a really interesting uh, change. It, it <laughs> seems like from the outside that you might think, oh, hypnosis, now you're doing psychedelics and, and medicine work. How, how did you get to this? What was that, that journey for you? It's actually that there is a, a continuous thread because before I was a hypnotist, I was a medical anthropologist. And these mm. substances are found in cultures all around the world. Uh, we have evidence of the earliest humans using psychoactive substances to explore consciousness or for uh, cere ceremonial and ritual purposes. So this is a part of human legacy that any decent anthropologist will affirm. Uh, yeah. And when I got into hypnosis and coaching, I was really interested in how the mind works, how we craft reality, both on the positive side, as well as on the self-limiting side, and how can we undo the self-limiting side. Uh, then in back in 2019, uh, a very close friend of mine, uh, John Overdurf, 
uh, was uh, talking about the new science of psychedelics, mainly the research coming out of Johns Hopkins and Imperial College in London and all these fantastic studies about how uh, psilocybin and DMT, those two in particular, and then later MDMA, were changing lives uh, for yeah. people who didn't have diagnosed problems, high dose psilocybin could predictably induce mystical states of consciousness, which had my had piqued my curiosity. Yeah. And for people who had things like uh, PT complex PTSD, even simple PTSD, um, treatment resistant depression, substance use disorders, all of these um, difficult problems that we see in our coaching practices, people come in with this stuff. And it's a tremendous amount of time and effort, both on the coach's part and on the client's part, to begin to resolve these issues. It is not like a overnight fix. However, a single high dose psilocybin journey can undo substance use disorder uh, for alcohol. One high dose iboga session, which is a very lengthy trip, can undo opiate use disorder. Uh, psilocybin helps to undo depression. LSD mm -hmm. helps to undo depression. There are some studies now looking at how LSD can be a part of a treatment program for people with neurodegenerative diseases, such as um, Parkinson's and some forms of dementia. Wow. Uh, so these are really amazing substances. Oh, and MDMA, uh, which is as through phase three clinical trials now with the FDA uh, is shown that a handful of sessions can undo severe post-traumatic stress. It is, these substances are literally saving lives, both physically and emotionally. And this is very different from the message, at least that I grew up with in the nineties, you know, in the nineties in school, we had the dare program. And right. if you, if you took a drug, you, that's it. Your life is over. You're a terrible person. You're a, a drag on society and you're going to destroy your brain. You know, yeah, MDMA yeah. eats holes in the brain, one bad trip, and you're going to go insane forever. All, all of that absolute nonsense that was uh, frustratingly intentional. The people who were putting out this content, people who are part of like the Just Say No campaign, yeah. like since War on Drugs, then carried on by Nancy Reagan, and then carried on through Bush and Clinton, they knew that this wasn't true because the government experimented with these substances but they still pushed a lie that set back science for decades and sent set back emotional and spiritual well-being for decades. So all of this got my interest and I got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm really curious. I, I want to try this. And the field kind of has an interesting way of responding when there's something really important that we're about to step into in life. And I had a bunch of people, uh, I had mentioned Michael Pollan's book back in 2019 on a Facebook post and uh, oh, wow. how to change your, how to change your mind, which is fantastic. I've read, uh, or I've seen some of the Netflix series. Yes, it's very good. The book, the book is pretty, pretty much the same. It follows the same strand. Um, I posted about it and a bunch of people had messaged me on Facebook and DM'd me and like, Hey, if you want to try this, you can. Uh, you know, reach out, we'll, we'll, we'll do a journey together. And it was all of those offers were really kind. And I deeply appreciate all those people for their vulnerability and sharing something that they're into that is still highly illegal, according to the US federal government. Yeah. Um, and then my dear friend Carlos reached out and he's like, Hey, you know, I do this. 
And then I was like, okay, this is, this is meant to be. And so mm -hmm. I started working with psilocybin first and psilocybin is, is my, um, my, my spiritual love. Yeah. Uh, and I've tried and, and I enjoy, and I find lots of other substances highly useful for personal and spiritual growth as well. Uh, but about a year ago, actually just over a year, because I was in Mexico and I had attended a, tr a traditional cacao ceremony. Mm -hmm. I had texted Carlos and I said, let's start doing retreats. Let's get a retreat center. Let's start doing this. And he said, okay, let's do it. Uh, so a year later, we held our, we just came out of our, our first retreat. I actually just flew home yesterday. It finished on Saturday morning. Congratulations. Uh, was, thank you. It was awesome. We had uh, eight days of personal transformation, growth, exploration, magic, uh, both in the figurative and the literal sense. So mm -hmm. it's, it's really amazing. And we're both very excited for what's coming ahead because we have many more lined up. That's fantastic. I, I, I love that how you said the fields kind of showed up for you and helped yeah. to create the, uh, my wife and I had an experience with mushrooms and the message that came back through her was to set up the conditions to have the abundance that you want. So it just happens. So it just flows for you, right? Set up yeah. those conditions. So it's not about wanting the thing. It's what do you do to set up the space so that those things happen, which is kind of what you're talking about. The field yeah. opens itself up to you. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, there are, you know, okay, so I should, I should preface this because some of your listeners will know me more from the coaching side where I do like science a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, this is kind of beyond science in that, and this quantum field that we all exist in, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, communicates through things like synchronicities. Yeah. Or sometimes if you're in a highly altered state, like through mushrooms, it can communicate really directly, yeah. which is beautiful. Hmm. And in mine and Carlos's case, we had lots of very, very strange synchronicities, things like showing up in each other's dreams and stuff like that, where we could mm -hmm. compare notes the next day and be like, yeah, that happened. Uh -huh. That all kind of led in this direction. Um, so there's something that, you know, for those who walk the medicine path, there's something about paying attention to those synchronicities and trusting. Yeah. You might not know what the end goal is or what the full purpose is, but if you just take a step and trust, things begin to unfold. Yeah. You're talking directly to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so uh, tell me, Jess, and I know you've touched a little bit on this, but you kind of have the, you've gone through this journey. So what, what would you say has changed about how you approach your coaching now, uh, as opposed to when you started this, this, uh, started as a hypnotic coach? Right. This is a really good question. And it's something that I often think about because it's difficult to put it in words. Um, but I'll do my best. So typically in hypnotic coaching, we have a structure. We have the, the meta pattern or the coaching pattern. That is the foundation of what we do with clients looking to attach positive states onto negative triggers to simplify right. it. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody who has a phobia of dogs, they come and work with me. We attach resources onto the image of the dog. Now they see the dog and they feel empowered. That stuff is great. And it's really powerful. It's great for kind of simple coaching things like stop smoking or simple phobias or fear of flying or nail biting, kind of these automatic compulsive emotion behavior cycles. 
But I get a lot of clients that are looking for something more. They don't have that kind of level of issue. Mm-hmm. They're wanting something deeper. They're looking to get more out of life. They do have things that they need to let go of, things like traumas and ingrained unconscious patterning. But they also want that kind of bigger picture, like what is my purpose? Why am I here? And the hypnotic coaching approach can work um, through things like working uh, with values, um, archetypes, that sort of thing. However, I found uh, as I integrated my own medicine experiences and as my coaching skills began to open up even more, that when approaching those types of things, I'm more reluctant now to do a pattern and more interested in a real basic state elicitation from the clients, getting them into a resource state, and then just exploring and looking for the points in their life where there is interconnectedness, where things seem to come together and where things don't come together. Because when they don't come together, that says, okay, it's either time to let that go or yeah. we need to do some refinement. If like happiness and job are not coming together, we can do some work with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's made me more expansive and far less rigid in how I coach. Uh, I've also become uh, a lot more woo-woo. <laughs> so there's a lot more, um, m- much more of uh, a magical foundation in my working these days. Yeah, I, I love that. Yeah. And, and, you know, what's interesting to what you just said is, because I've done coach, I've done training with you. You're a trainer. Mm-hmm. And, and I credit the training that I did with you as helping me get to be that way more flexible than I was before. So... Even as this continues, I can see how uh, that more ability to open up more and more continues to to happen to yeah really step into your own flow, whatever that is, right? And that's going to be a little different for everybody. Absolutely, and you know, medicine work is not for everyone. It is not a, a panacea, and there are certain populations and certain individuals where it is like contraindicated big time. So in the back of my head, when I'm working with a client, the question that I am asking myself is, how can I bring the medicine work into this session without actually giving a chemical? Mm-hmm. How can I bring that energy, that essence, that um, state, and that way of thinking into the session so the client can have a taste of that without having to eat mushrooms or drink ayahuasca? Yeah, yeah, that's a good frame to, to start from or to, to be in for sure. Yeah. Where do you, uh, where do you educate yourself? Like how do you self educate yourself on, on these different ideas and, and thoughts? Um, experimentation. I do, I do read a lot. I listen to a lot of people's experiences. Those are more experienced than me. I continue my own training. Um, Last summer, I trained with a Mazatec Corandera and how to hold traditional Mazatec mm-hmm. mushroom ceremonies. Um, when the conquistadors came in and as the Aztec empire fell, mushrooms were a big part of the Aztec empire. The Mazatec people took the medicine and went into hiding and they maintained the tradition over hundreds of years. So they're like the uh, the OGs of mushroom work, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Uh, so I learned from them. I'm currently actually doing a, a year-long intensive 
with uh, Paco, uh, an Incan priest from Peru, rum training in their ritual practices and how they approach medicine work. Uh, they use primarily ayahuasca and Huachuma or San Pedro. Mm-hmm. I don't work with ayahuasca. It's not the medicine for me, but I do work from time to time with Huachuma as well. Wow. Great. What is, uh, this is, this will be a little bit different of a question, but so you're in kind of the transformation industry with, yes. you know, with, uh, hypnotist coaching, NLP medicine work, we're all trying to help people change their lives for the better. Mm-hmm. What's something that everyone in your industry should either start doing or stop doing? Oh, that's really tough. <laughs> uh, I would say uh, what everyone should start doing, uh, whether in my industry or not, is some form of daily practice, a meditation or some sort of daily ritual uh, to make your time sacred. Mm. Um, for people who are interested in medicine work, uh, both facilitators and explorers, I highly, highly recommend a daily meditation practice because yeah. that builds the muscles and the tolerance for the journey because journeys can be arduous. They're not always sunshine and rainbows. It's great when they are, but it's good to have skills for managing when they're not. Yeah. Uh, and having a daily meditation practice gets you comfortable in your own mind. You start to unravel, you start to witness and then unravel your own compulsive thought patterns. And we all have them. Uh, In terms of what people should stop doing, um, people in my industry should stop promising one session cures. (laughs) If you're like the general public listening to this and somebody's promising a one session cure, you might want to keep looking for other options. Yeah. There, there are certain issues that, in my personal experience, tend to clear in a single session. Smoking cessation is like the primary example. It's a particularly sure. easy one. But I never promise that because each individual and their relationship to their presenting issue is different. So there is, in at least the hypnosis world, and, and fortunately less so in the psychedelic space, but in the hypnosis world, there is this culture, this culture of rushing. It's like the McDonald's hypnosis culture where it's, I can make you do blah, blah, blah in five minutes and your life will be cured. Well, human neurology doesn't work like that. Physical existence doesn't work like that. And our spirit doesn't work like that. Yeah. If you have that, that is awesome. I'm not ever going to say, I'm never going to deny somebody who says that it was a single session cure because it very, very likely was for that individual. But I think we as a culture need to step back and start valuing taking our time because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what technique you use. It doesn't matter what medicine you use. It's about the relationship. So in psychedelic terms, we call it set and setting in coaching. We call it rapport, but it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great reminder. And, um, powerful message to remember it took you how long to get to where you are now so yes let's let's be kind to ourselves and gentle and give ourselves enough time to shift that yeah 100 percent. but what would you say is the most misunderstood aspect of about plant medicine psychedelics Um, I I think there's two prongs. One is just incorrect and one is insidious. The incorrect one is that 
it's just hippies who do this stuff. <laughs> okay, like, I might have like a little bit of hippie in me, but I also like science and you know have a life beyond beyond the mushrooms, although they do heavily influence things. It isn't just a hippie party thing. There are some people who will use the medicines in that way. And some of them who have respect for it will be able to use the medicine that way and get whatever it is they need in that time from the medicine. A lot of people though, who treat it as like a hippie thing or a party thing, those people can get into trouble. Uh, and I think that that colors a lot of public opinion about medicine sure. work that simply isn't true. The other, which is more insidious, is it's just drugs. Well, yeah. you know what? Culturally, we seem to have some drugs that are more than welcome and other ones that are demonized. You know, why is it that alcohol is celebrated, but mm -hmm. mushrooms are not? Um, you know, there are lots of cultural reasons for that, partly because of prohibition starting in the 70s. Um, there are political reasons for that. Alcohol has a lot of lobbying power. Yeah. Um, and I think there are also internal reasons for that. Something like alcohol dulls and numbs and lets people escape, whereas something like mushrooms or LSD are going to put you face to face with the best parts of you and the worst parts of you. Yeah. And you have to face it. Um, so I don't like the term drugs for this class of substances because I think it diminishes it. It diminishes uh, their importance both for the human race, historically, culturally, spiritually, and it diminishes their healing capacity. Um, these are not drugs um, in the colloquial use. Sure, they have uh, molecular chains. You know, you take psilocybin, that is a very specific uh, chemical chain. But even that, uh, in the body, it's not the psilocybin that makes this journey. Psilocybin is turned into psilocin. And even that isn't it, because then the psilocin, as it interacts with our neurology, becomes 4-ACODMT. Hmm. Um, so you can't even call it one drug, because you have sure. one drug going through three stages. Um, so I would definitely hope that as it becomes more mainstream, people begin to separate it out from substances that are really dangerous, like fentanyl and, you know, heroin, all, all the heavy opiates, uh, right. meth, crack, those types of drugs that are really physically, psychologically and spiritually dangerous for the person taking it and also dangerous socially. Right. Um, whereas things like cannabis, psilocybin, ayahuasca, LSD, um, iaboga, MDMA, and the list goes on, they don't have the same safety profile or the same danger profile, I should say. Um, psilocybin and LSD, neither of them have a known LD50. LD50 is the dose at which it becomes lethal for 50% of the people. There's sure. no LD50. Right. These are some of the safest substances we can consume. Um, so, yeah, I will step off my soapbox about that. These are sacred substances. They aren't, you know, they aren't party substances. You can use them recreationally. I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with recreational use um, because recreation is the act of recreating. 
Yeah. That in itself is a spiritual practice. I remember you said that to me a while ago and it, that really stuck with me that yeah. that concept of recreating and and what that actually means it's it's pretty powerful. Yeah. I have had the experience in talking with I don't want to say uneducated people but you know people that, that just don't have any experience with yeah. with these kinds of medicines and many times that the instant reaction is like fear it's shut it down uh, I don't do drugs it's yeah. it's all these different dare responses right stuff yeah. that com comes from the propaganda and uh, and it can be hard to to move past whatever the negative connotations is around all that yeah you know it's it's going to take time culturally because people don't think of you know their prescription painkillers or alcohol or even some people don't even think of cocaine as drugs or you know mm -hmm. her herbal supplements uh, i am a big fan of both kava kava and kratum uh and they're not advertised as drugs and they certainly are they're advertised as health supplements. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's going to take time for culture to begin to shift and for people to become more educated about what's possible with these substances. And, and I have hope and I have faith. You know, this is if you just look at the the people in the political world who are pro legalization or at the very least pro decriminalization, this is an issue that spans the aisle. Yeah. Both Democrats, Republicans, and Libertarians, uh, contingencies of all those parties agree on this. Um, so if we can get them, if we can get these diametrically opposed parties to <laughs> at least some to agree on this, I think culturally things are beginning to shift. And, you know, I've encountered it in, in my own life, you know, people who were like, well, that's just, that's dangerous. You're doing drugs. Mm -hmm. But if you just have patience with them, have love. If they want to learn more, then share. If they don't want to learn more, then it's not an argument worth having. Yeah. And also for those who are on the medicine path, it becomes important to keep your own boundaries because thoughts and beliefs and feelings, especially really strong ones, can be contagious. Mm, yeah. So that individual can believe whatever they want about mushrooms. However, know that like in your own experiential life, the reality is very different. Yeah. And, and that's what you just said is something that if you really think into that, it's actually really mind blowing, but uh, yeah. we'll just leave it right there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Jess, who, who is your mentor, or your role model right now? Who's my mentor? Well, I guess, you know, in the medicine world, my mentor is my my wonderful friend and business partner, Carlos. Um, yeah. He's he's been facilitating. He, he's been using psychedelics for 34 years. He's been facilitating for 30 years. Uh, I'm definitely still a neophyte in comparison and mm -hmm. still learning a, a tremendous amount about the art and science of facilitation. Yeah, fantastic. I, yeah. I'm, I look forward to having a conversation with Carlos. Oh, you'll have fun at, at some point as well. <laughs> Uh, so, so based on your experience, what are some practical ways that someone could use these types of, uh, we'll call them super states, because that's the name of the <laughs> podcast, uh, to, to improve their lives, like any kind of technique or approach that you would recommend? 
Um, so again, it's kind of a, a multi-layered, um, for those who want to explore the medicine path and explore those super states and they are super states without mm -hmm. a doubt, I highly, highly, highly encourage you do not go alone, especially the first time, uh, work with someone who has experience on the medicine path, who can guide you, who can, um, help you prepare for set and setting and help guide you through some of the more trick. Uh, trickier components to journeys because um, when you take psychedelic doses, you are opening the vault of the unconscious and it's good to have someone who's walked that path before. Yeah. So definitely work with someone. And in those states, you can do all sorts of things. You can release traumas. You can open your heart more. You can let go of things that have been blocking you in life. You can come to a deeper understanding of the unconscious patterns that up until that moment had been influencing and controlling your life and begin to release those. And then there is um, some really interesting things that happen even beyond the state itself. Uh, there's something called the afterglow. These substances have a knack for making you feel really good for weeks after. Yeah. Uh, and we actually know now that uh, biochemically, uh, these particularly psilocybin, iboga, and LSD unlock, and I think MDMA was in that category as well, unlock uh, the chemical chains for neuroplasticity. It actually activates 49 different genes related to neuroplasticity. And that window stays open from anywhere from 48 hours in the case of ketamine up to six weeks, I think, in the case of LSD. Wow. So you'll keep learning. You will keep rewiring your brain and healing those neural structures well after the trip. Uh, then there are going to be times where, you know, it's not ideal to take those substances. Uh, it's good to have some downtime. Yeah. And not ideal, like I said earlier, for everybody to take those substances anyway, in which case the number one technique that I suggest is uh, breath meditation. And it's, there's lots of different ways to do this. Uh, a really simple way uh, is if you sit with your back straight and you can sit with your legs crossed or your feet on the ground if you're in a chair and just close your eyes and with your eyes closed just relax your jaw allow your tongue to rest on the roof of your mouth and pay attention to the tip of your nose right where your nostrils are and track the flow of cool air in as it goes up through your sinuses down the back of your throat down into your lungs and all the way down to your belly and track the warm air out following that same path up and out And just continue to be with the breath. That's it. And you'll notice that as you do this, that your mind tends to wander. This is normal. This is a good thing. The only thing you need to do once you notice that the mind has moved away from the breath is to return it back to the breathing. Mm. and to start small do this for like two minutes or five minutes a day there's no, you don't need to sit for an hour 
start small and just practice continuously returning your consciousness to the breath. And once you finish the meditation, pay attention to when your mind wandered, in what ways did it wander? Where did it go? Like what was the content? And how were you doing it? What was the speed of the thoughts? Were you seeing pictures? Were you hearing sounds? That sort of thing? Or were you talking to yourself? Because when you do this, you'll start to uncover those unconscious compulsive patterns that keep you out of the present moment and also tend to run our lives. Sure. Uh, The secret here, though, is to be patient and be gentle. There's nothing else you need to do but track the breath. If you want to get fancy as you increase time, you can actually, uh, it's a very traditional yogic practice with this meditation, is to follow the inhale through one nostril and follow the exhale through through the other Mm -hmm. and then switch. Um, if you want to get like a gold star, another thing that you can do to enhance this <laughs> is at the same time as you're tracking your breath, begin to with, even with your eyes closed, expand your awareness out beyond your body. Hmm. Um, but just keep bringing your mind and your attention back to that practice. And what will happen over time is the space in between the compulsive thoughts will begin to expand and you become absorbed in the breathing. And it becomes like the most fascinating, most hypnotic, relaxing experience one can have. Yeah, yeah. So that that is a really easy way of accessing a super state. Um, if people are interested in a more psychedelic super state, that, for me, that's kind of like the precursor and the everyday practice in between psychedelic sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, there, is, there is a technique called holotropic breathwork, which comes from uh, Stan Groff. Stan yeah. Groff is a world, was a world-renowned uh, LSD therapist uh, mm-hmm. and wrote a lot of books on it, got amazing transformations. And when the U.S. government uh, clamped down and in the 70s and prohibited access, uh, he developed this technique or co-developed this technique to begin to elicit a psychedelic state through the power of breath by changing the balance of blood gases. Uh, and there's lots of resources out there on that. Uh, it's a hyperventilation technique. Just like with psychedelics, if you have certain medical conditions, it's not going to be advised. So do your research and mm-hmm. find out what's going to be safe for you. Uh, but that's another access point for people who are interested or curious about the psychedelic state, but aren't quite sure yet that they want to, you know, take an eighth of mushrooms or something. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, I, having done that type of breath work, it is also very, I can get, get yeah. can verify that it's very powerful and does take you into your own super state. Yes, it, it certainly does. We actually, in our retreats, uh, we integrate holotropic breath work as one of the kind of continuous practices because it is something that you can do daily yeah. and you can do it. You can do it for short periods of time. Uh, I know like when you go to a formal training for it, they do like three hour sessions, Wow! which you will definitely trip <laughs> doing that breath for three hours. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I do that for like a half an hour and it takes me away. So yeah, if we could take just one time out, is that okay? I just need to grab my tea. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Sorry about that. So what do you see about, uh, how do you imagine the future of using, using psychedelics or altered states of consciousness, uh, for personal growth unfolding? What's, what's giving you hope right now about the future? Uh, what's giving me hope are the number 
of people like me and Carlos who are working both openly, but also underground. Um, you know, this is, this is illegal. This is, you know, a schedule one substance. Uh, it is legal in certain states and in certain cities, fortunately. So, you know, state law trumps um, federal in, in many instances when it comes to this, as, we, as we've seen with cannabis. But it gives me hope that so many people now are speaking up and have the courage to say either, you know what, I use these substances on the regular and they change my life, they've saved my life. Or people say, yeah, I am facilitating this because this is so important that I am willing to risk it. Yeah. And the level of um, congruence that a, a facilitator needs to have to do that is uh, both astounding and what is going to energetically change the tide. Uh, what also makes me hopeful are the states that are considering legalization. California mm -hmm. is considering legalization. Uh, Rhode Island is one step away. They're probably going to get it first. Uh, Massachusetts, they're very close to it. New York currently has two bills for legalization. One is for widespread legalization of uh, plant-based psychedelics. And then the second bill is to give access to psychedelic therapy for people with diagnosed disorders, people who would not be coming on my retreat because of the severity of the disorder sure. who really need to be in a medical setting. New York State has a bill that would pay for those treatments because insurance federally can't pay for it. Wow. So that makes me really, really hopeful. I think the more that we talk about this, get this out in public, public consciousness, um, the more lives will change. And I think responsible use, and that's a real key here is responsible use. Yeah. Has the potential to change people's lives in profound ways. You know, yeah. a, a lot of the underground movement uh, really came out of the underground in the 2000s, thanks to Silicon Valley, because a lot of those guys, those super creatives are using it to solve problems. Um, yeah. LSD, for example, is notoriously good for solving problems. LSD use was uh, responsible for the development of the PCR test, which mm. going through COVID, we all know, was yeah. a really important discovery. Uh -huh. um, also the imagining of the double helix was thanks to LSD. Yeah. Right. So for creatives who are living their best life and feeling amazing, don't necessarily need a lot of therapeutic change, but want to want more want to expand more to find out what else is possible, what, what is their next big step in life, or if they have some sort of practical problem-solving thing, like science-y thing. Uh, these substances hold tremendous potential. Uh, and then we also have on the spiritual side, you know, I, I for my own personal use, I, I use this both for healing of my own traumas, and I also use it as a part, uh, as a very important, if not crucial part of my spiritual practice. And I think the more people use this for spirituality, uh, it's going to make better people. There yeah. was a study that came out, oh gosh, I think it was 2021, that looked at uh, psychedelic use and it measured people who use psychedelics, it measured them for seven distinct qualities that are known to be uh, directly correlated to the committing of violent crime. Okay. And they found that people who use psychedelics score significantly lower on these seven points than the general public. Hmm. So psychedelics will make you a better human being. <laughs> I love that. How can people learn more about you, Jess? 
Sure, you can learn more by visiting me at www.sacredmedicinejourneys.com. Uh, you can also join our Facebook group, Sacred Medicine and Healing Journeys. You can friend me on Facebook. You can email us if you have questions about an upcoming retreat. We do have a fall retreat lined up that we're very excited about, and uh, we're going to be holding it in a very special place, which I won't disclose here, but okay. you'll find out when you find out. Um, and you can find out more about that by emailing us at team at sacredmedicinejourneys.com. Great. I'll make sure all of those links are in the show notes. Thank and, you. And uh, Jess, what is, what's one last insight that uh, you want the audience to leave with today? Everything is conscious. Consciousness pervades everything. Trees, plants, molecules, you, me, animals, it's everywhere. And the language of consciousness is love. Just remember that. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That's really the best way to expand the message for more people to hear about this podcast. And it would really mean a lot to me. Don't forget to subscribe to your favorite platform. You can also find Super States on YouTube where we have it in a video format as well. Make sure to let me know what kind of topics or guests you'd like me to cover. You can respond in the comments. You can find me out on almost every social media at Joshua Ray Peters. And I will see you all next week. Remember, you carry the seeds of change inside. Stay flexible keep growing, and embrace your transformation.